want to say, man, I, I'm grateful to be back. Um, didn't Pastor Rick do a, just an incredible job last week? Um, so great. I actually, I listened to that message twice. Um, I, I really did, and it, it was so good, and, and um, it was great. If you didn't get a chance to check that out, I encourage you to go back, check out last week's message. Um, we're so blessed to, to have a senior pastor like we do that not, not only has the heart for the Lord, the heart for a church, but a heart for this ministry in our community. And so um, forever grateful for him. And um, if you serve in any capacity at any point in time, not today, or to me, just on our team, will you stand up? They say, if you serve anywhere, anywhere on our teams, um, you guys say, let's give them a hand because um, it's, again, this is, it's not even everybody, um, but we have such, I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed that, that my wife and I were able to leave and, and in all honesty, I had no anxiety about what would take place because I know that, that everybody um, shares the heart and the vision for this ministry. Um, I, I seriously, I, I do so little here, and, and it's really all of you that, that carry this ministry, and, and, and man, it's just it's so incredible that we're able to step away and just do things like that. It just blesses me. I'm, I'm forever grateful for each of you that, that play a role here. Um, no, no role is insignificant in the ministry that takes place here, so thank you guys for that. Um, I know this. Many of you have asked me how my, my vacation went, and you know, you've asked lots of questions. I'm going to say it was great. It was great to get away. I feel guilty. It's kind of weird. It's the first time I've ever taken a vacation in my entire life and I feel guilty about it. Um, and you guys are like, well, how was it? Um, you know, you're, you're in the car for days on end, 4,000 miles with your kids. You know, how did you handle that? Um, do you guys remember like early 2000 Britney Spears? You guys remember that? Yeah, that's, yeah, just, just, just shaved it off. Um, I'm done with it, you know? Um, so I had a mental breakdown and uh, I need another vacation, you know? So, <laughs> I didn't just shave the head for that joke. I would do something like that, but that's not what I did. You know, it's funny, like early on in my marriage, I started to lose my hair and, uh, you know, because my family went from three to eight, you know, who wouldn't go bald? Um, and I'm asking my wife, and, and it, early on, you know, you're in a new relationship. They don't want to like hurt your feelings and they're more guarded. Now my wife doesn't care as much. Um, but I was like, honey, I feel like I'm thinning. And she's like, no, it's fine. And then I got a sunburn on my scalp. And I'm like, you're a dirty liar. You're a dirty liar. I've got a sunburn. Your hair doesn't, your scalp doesn't sunburn unless your hair's thinning. She's like, well, maybe it's thinning a little. And then as time went on, I'm like, honey, is it getting worse? No, it's fine. Everything's fine. They're doing a close-up of it now. Thank you guys. Um, <laughs> Um, she's like, no, everything's fine. And then I told her, I said, I'm probably going to shave my head while I'm on vacation and, and just kind of test it out, see what I think about it, you know, see if I need to get a throat tattoo afterwards or anything like that. Um, that's coming next. You just wait. Um, and then I was kind of on the fence because it's my hair, right? I mean, I don't want to lose my hair and it's just, but it's getting worse. And I, and I look in a mirror, like we're in this motel and, um, and it's curved. So I, as I look, I can see the back of my head and I see like this bald spot and I'm like, yeah, to heck with this. I went and got clippers, shaved it off as I'm crying and weeping in the bathroom. Um, and then when I'm done, I'm like, honey, how does it look? And she's like, it was, it was time. I'm like, you said, you said that it was okay. You, you lied. That's like our whole relationships built on a foundation of lies. I mean, I don't even know what to do here. So um, I don't trust my wife anymore. That's, that's for sure. Um, so if I ask one of you how I look, if there's something on my face or in my teeth, I'm not hitting on you. I just don't trust her, okay? Um, 
because she'll be like, yeah, it's good, and I can be, you know, just whatever. So, um, <laughs> so enough with that. Hopefully, this isn't too much of a distraction. My kids keep crying every time I, I come into the house, like, who's this strange man? Um, but it's going to be good. Everything's going to be good. But this, this is the new me, you know. So, um, and that has nothing to do with the shirts. That has nothing to do with the shirts. So, um, but as you guys have noticed, we've got some new merch out there. And we're excited about that. Same God, new me. Um, if you guys have been a part of our ministry very long, you know this. I like to tie t-shirts to messages. And so we're doing a series. Same God, new me. I'm pumped about it. Um, and we're going to be touching base on, on a couple things because um, I, I believe... I believe that our culture currently is in a place that, that believes that, that God changes, right? That, that he, he goes with the times, or at least that he should, that, that if we don't allow him to, to drift with current culture, then somehow he becomes outdated. And, and so what this message is going to focus on and this series is going to focus on is the fact that God doesn't change. He, he's the same God um, that... Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob encountered. He's the same God that I encountered um, 16 years uh, old in my addiction. He's the same God that at 30 years old finally was able to beat truth in my head enough for me to surrender to him. And he's the same God um, today in my life. And he's the same God in your life. And the thing that should change is me. Uh, the thing that should change is you. And tonight what I want to talk about is the good news. Say the good news. And, and the good news, if you've been around in church circles long enough, you know it's this, the gospel. The gospel literally means the good news. And so the gospel is the message that Jesus carried to the people, to us, to the world, right? It's, it's the message of, of what he's done for us. It's the message that God intended from the very beginning, all of time, from the fall of man up until the day of, of Aaron and his addiction. And so we're going to talk about the good news. Um, and the reason I'm starting with this, um, and, it, and it can be incredibly basic. If you've been a part of church, that, that's what you think. It's really like we've heard this. I heard this maybe in Sunday school. Um, I heard this um, last year. You know, I know the good news. You know, it's, I raised my hand when I heard it, and, and that's what got me here. And there's some things I want you to know about it. First and foremost is this. Like 90% of the time that you see the gospel preached in the Bible, you know who it's being preached to? Christians. And, and in our current culture, I wrote this down. We believe this. The gospel isn't meant just for those that are lost. It's not a door that we walk through on our way to a destination. It is the destination. It's the place that God continuously meets us, ushering us to his righteousness and transforming us into his glorious image. It's not, it's not for Sunday school, preschool, right? It's not for the kids' ministry. It's not for the student ministry. It's for each and every one of us that are seeking to grow in Christ. It doesn't become outdated. It's not the thing that, that we start with that somehow we grow past. It's the center of our faith. It's the center of our journey. And here at Cedar Point, cover again, if we're centering everything on the gospel of Jesus, we're centering it on this message. And the moment we begin to think that it's insignificant, that it's basic, that it's old news, we've missed it. And so I want to talk about the good news. And I want to talk about the fact that it doesn't change. That it doesn't change that the only thing that should change is us when we encounter it. 
And I want to start in Galatians. Galatians 1, we're going to be in chapter 6. This was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. And, and the reason he wrote it is he had visited the area, he'd established a church, and he had moved on, which is what Paul did. And as he moved on, something happened. People came in behind him, and they had their own good news. Except it wasn't the good news, right? It was a different message. And I see this in culture today, right? We know that, that Jesus should transform us, but the message today is, well, if God's love, he's going to love me no matter how I live my life. That, that he's somehow okay or indifferent with the choices that we make. And, and that's a lie just as the Galatians had encountered a lie. And so here in Galatians 1 verse 6, it says, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way. Say different way. A different way that pretends, say pretends, pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. How much does that sound like the culture we encounter today? I see people make excuse after excuse. I make excuse after excuse for behavior. I'll tell you this. I was speaking with uh, the men in Live Free um, last night. And one of the things that I've struggled with is the way that, that I speak, the way that I joke. Um, there's been times that, that I cuss and carry on and I justify it. That, that somehow this makes me more effective to reach those that are far from God. And then if I stop speaking this way, that somehow I'll lose access into their lives. What a lie to justify sin in, in my life. And we do that. Or we, we buy into the fact that if God is love, then, then he's indifferent to the choices I make. You know what? I love my children dearly. And I whoop them when they do wrong. Right? And I correct them. Why? Because I care. And then we think, well, God's love, he must be just okay with me doing whatever I want, acting however I want to act. What a lie, what a twisted perversion of the good news. The good news is so much more. It says this, we are lost in sin. We are unable to save ourselves. And so if you haven't been a part of the church world, I want to be sensitive to you because there was a time that I was you. And I would hear these words, and I wouldn't know what they meant. And so a sin is anytime we're outside of the will of God. In our addiction, we sin. But in jealousy, we sin. We, we sin when we're in violence. We sin when we have anger in our heart, right? And, and we are lost in sin. It, it was from the beginning of time, the fall of man, the fall of Adam and Eve, that, that sin entered this world. It corrupted us. And in it, we were unable to save ourselves. But it goes on, and we are unable to save ourselves. And the gospel, that's the good news of Jesus Christ, is our only, say only, our only hope. That there's no other hope. That there's no other truth. That there's no other way. And the reason I harp on this is because I see people try to get free from addiction absent of Jesus. And what that leads to is white-knuckling it through life, hoping that you don't screw up one day as you're about to lose it all. Can you find success there? Yeah, I've watched people do it. It's miserable, right? But, but there's hope. I've seen people white-knuckle it through relationships, through marriage, 
And it's not supposed to be that way. And that the good news, right, the gospel, it's our hope. And we have to learn to lean on what, what's true, to lean into what's true, and to set down the lies that we've bought into, to stop justifying behavior that we know to be wrong, no matter how insignificant we may declare it. I've made all the same excuses. I've made all the justifications. And, and again, there, there's, there's things in my life now that, that I've become complacent to. What a terrible place to be. What a terrible place to be, to be okay with not pursuing a Christ-like life. To not being the visible image of an invisible God. And so we encounter the gospel, the good news. It sets us free, right? It saves us. It is the starting point, but it's the point. It's the place that we continuously go back to. If I'm being quite honest, it's the thing that we should start with every morning that we wake up. I'm lost in sin without him. I'm unable to save myself. Jesus is my only hope today. And when I wake up tomorrow, I'm lost in sin without him. All right, I can't save myself. Jesus is my only hope today. But what happens is we encounter it, we move past it, and then we think we're just good enough on our own. But it's the place, again, we go back to. We need to go back to and back to and back to. It's not the starting point. It's not a door. It's our daily destination. I want to start tonight with a story that many of you are familiar with. Um, it's, it's in Luke. It's going to be in Luke 19, starting in verse 1. Luke is in our New Testament. It's one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Um, so it's after Mark, and it's, then it's before John. And so the Gospels, if you don't know, tell about the life and the ministry of Jesus. And um, we're going to be talking about a particular tax collector, um, Zacchaeus. Um, again, many of you have probably heard of Zacchaeus. Again, if you were like me 10 years ago, you have no idea who Zacchaeus is, and that's okay. Uh, we're going to get into that in just a moment. And so starting in verse 1, it says this, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. I want to pause right there. Tax collectors were bad people. They were the bottom rung of the ladder in, in Jewish culture. The reason they were is, one, they cooperated with the occupying force. So Rome occupied their lands. The tax collectors betrayed their people to work with Rome. It would be if, as if a foreign country invaded America and your neighbor was working with them to, to, to penalize you. They wouldn't be your friend, right? You're not inviting them over for Christmas dinner. If they're family, you're probably not inviting them over for anything, right? You, you begin to cut them off. And, and the way that they became rich, and he's declared as rich, was by not just taxing people, but by increasing their taxes and stealing from them. So not only did they betray their people, but they stole from them as well. And so Zacchaeus, he's one of these men. Said so he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. 
Now, there's some ridiculous song that all the Baptists sing. Um, you know, you probably know it. Um, I don't, you know, but you can look it up, I think. It's too <laughs> but, uh, and then it says, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, what are you doing up there? Don't you know I'm too good for you? You scat, go and get, right? No. <laughs> he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. I love that because I know in my addiction, there was a time when, when I was this, right? I was disowned by family. I wasn't invited over for, for holidays. Um, nobody wanted me around for kids' birthdays. Now I just don't show up to them just because, but... Um, <laughs> I wasn't welcome. I wasn't welcome in society. I wasn't welcome in a lot of places. And, and I convinced myself that I wasn't welcome here either, that, that Jesus wouldn't want me, that Jesus didn't come for me, that Jesus wouldn't save me. I was too far gone. And here we have Zacchaeus who, who's trying to just get a glimpse. And I guarantee you the last thing he expected was the opportunity to have Jesus as his dinner guest. But he said, Zacchaeus, come down quick. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people, say but the people. But the people were displeased. There's gonna be people that you encounter Unfortunately, some of them are going to be a part of the church, and, and they're going to think that, that you're overstepping, that you're not staying in your lane. And sometimes it convinces us of a lie that, that Jesus really wasn't for us and, and that we have no place, maybe to serve, maybe to lead. I know I struggled with that so much as God was calling me to ministry, that because of what I'd done, because of where I come from, that somehow... I could never hold any title or position, that I, that I couldn't lead anybody. But here, it says, but people were displeased. He'd gone to be the guest of the notorious sinner. They grumbled. But meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord. I love that, indifferent to the people, indifferent to what they grumbled about or said. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. I love that Jesus didn't come to pat righteous people on the back to lift up people who had done no wrong. He came to seek and to save the lost. And the people that grumbled, the people that were displeased, they missed the entire point of his presence. They missed the entire point of his mission and his motivation. And point number one is this, God still seeks those that are far from him. That's the good news. 
This isn't just a fairy tale that we read about in a book that's outdated, antiquated, that's not relevant in our life today, right? This is something that takes place today. Just like Zacchaeus, the notorious sinner, bottom rung of the ladder, had an encounter with Jesus, Jesus is seeking the same encounter with us today, right? Jesus still seeks and saves those that are lost. The gospel is the same today as it was yesterday. The mission of Jesus is the same today as it was yesterday. And he's seeking those that are far from him. He showed up for us. He showed up for you. In the middle of whatever brokenness you're in, right? However displeased you are with your life, great. You're prime for the picking, When it comes to the good news, you're in the exact place you need to be in to have an encounter with Jesus. Zacchaeus couldn't be any farther from God, yet that was the exact place that he met Jesus. We're never too far gone. We're never too lost. And God still seeks those that are far from him, still seeks those that are far from him. And so I just want to to encourage you. I want to encourage you. It's the same God, the same God we read about there. It's the same God that's available to us today. God still seeks those that are far from him. If you would, turn your Bibles to to Romans. Romans chapter 10 is still in our New Testament. Romans chapter 10, verse 5, as we begin to look at point number 2. It says this, "For, For Moses writes the law's way of... Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart, who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth? And don't say, who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again? In verse eight, it says, in fact, it says, the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. It says this in verse nine, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's believing in your heart that you're made right with God and it's by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. It's not through perfection. It's not through works, right? You, you, don't, you don't buy your way in by, by serving people. You don't buy your way in through good deeds. You don't buy your way in by giving extravagant gifts to the church, right? It's if you believe, openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's through God's grace, faith and grace alone that we receive this good news. I don't know about you, That was hard for me to reconcile with. At times, it's hard for me to understand. Sometimes I have conversations with God. (laughs) I mean, you know what I did, right, Jesus? You see all the people I've wounded, all the people I've hurt, all the things that I've stolen, all the things that I've done. Are you sure? Time and time again, through pursuit of God's word, He affirms, I'm sure, you're called, you're saved, you're made right. But the place that we miss it is that first part. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, say Lord. 
When we see Lord, it's, it's interesting that it's not if you openly declare that Jesus is Christ, Messiah, Savior. It's not that if you openly declare that Jesus is God, if you openly declare that he's Lord. Lord puts him in a place of authority, a place of authority over you, a place of authority over me. And we miss that so often. And we openly declare that Jesus came to save me. We openly declare that Jesus is God. You know what? Satan and all of his demons recognize those truths. That Satan, that, that Jesus was sent to save, that Jesus is God. You know the thing they don't do? Place him in a position of authority over their lives. And when we look at salvation, salvation is a result of this lordship. You're saved when he's the authority. But when he's the authority, it's his will over yours. We set down the justifications. When we encounter truth in our lives that says, I shouldn't do that, I work to change. I work to allow him to change me. And if I justify it, and I say, well, God loves me anyways, well, you just became your own God. And you're no good at saving yourself. The good news says, in spite of culture, in spite of my desires, in spite of what my brother, brother, mom, and sister says, right, that I'm going to do what God says. So if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And point number two is this. He still saves those that submit to him. That submit to him. It's so much more than a hand raise. It's so much more than being present. It's having the encounter with who he is. I showed up to this place, this building, for years. For years. But I refused to relinquish control of my life. And it wasn't until I did that I had a real encounter with the good news, that the gospel transformed me and changed me and dealt with all of the baggage and all of the brokenness. He still saves those that submit to him. And I don't know where you're at, but I want to encourage you tonight to lean into that truth. As we're wrapping up, evaluate your life. Is there an area where you justify something you know to be against God's word? And have you considered, that's the fact you still suffer and struggle in so many ways. As we look at point number three and close, I want you to look at 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter three. Um, each of these passages have come from letters written by the apostle Paul. Um, and 2 Corinthians is no different. It comes after 1 Corinthians, if you can believe that or not. Um, and here, he says this in verse 12. He says, since this new way gives us so much confidence, we can be very bold. Well, what new way? Well, 
Christianity. This is Paul writing to the early church, establishing the new church. The way, which is what Christians were called then, was still very new, right? It was just gaining ground and traction. And, and Jesus hadn't even been crucified and risen that long. And so he's talking about this to the believers in Corinth. Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We're not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand. But, say but. But whenever somebody turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And though the, the deceit that Paul's addressing here is a little different than what you may be encountering, I know this. I'd bought into so many lies in my life before surrendering to God and experiencing that good news, Right? I bought into the lie that I was inadequate, that I was destined to be a failure. I bought into the lie that, that anger somehow protected me. I bought into the lie that, that I needed to self-medicate with drugs and alcohol. I bought into lie after lie after lie. But when I encountered Jesus, the veil was lifted. When I submitted to him, I received truth. And the same, the same is true for each of us. Whenever somebody, it's not whenever Aaron, <laughs> no, whenever someone, anyone, you could read it, but whenever I turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. It says, for the Lord is the spirit, and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. When we refuse to subject our lives to truth, if it's not freedom we receive, it's captivity. It's bondage. It's slavery. And we place ourselves in positions where we refuse to submit to God out of fear that we'll lose something and inadvertently keep ourselves trapped in bondage. Wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. In the Lord, who is the Spirit, I love this, makes us more and more like Him. And we are changed. Say changed. Changed into His glorious image. The gospel isn't meant to make us feel better. Church services aren't meant to make us feel better. They're meant to change us. Point number three is this. He still changes those who give everything to him. He still changes those who give everything to him. The great lie I see is that we need to find places of worship where we feel comfortable and people tell us how great we are. What a load of crap. Why would I want that? Why would I, I want a God that's not willing to work on my broken places, that, that's not willing 
to, to help me to be better. Why would I want a God that looks just like me and thinks just like me and is okay with all the things that I'm okay with? What an insignificant God that is. I'll be honest. I make a lousy God. But when we recognize this truth, that he's truth, he takes away the veil and he begins to change us. We show up here not so that we can feel good about all of our mistakes. It's not for guilt and shame either, but it's, it's, for, it's for a sorrow that causes us to turn to him and want to work on the things in our lives. And the more we lean into him, the more he says, now that right there, I want, I want that from you. You know, he, he began that work in me with the big obvious things and the things that my family was very grateful that he started with, right? I mean, they're, they're grateful that he didn't start with my foul mouth, that, you know, he dealt with the abuse of alcoholism first. It was a great starting point. But you know what? They're also grateful that he didn't stop there, right? That, that I kept showing up and being uncomfortable with this behavior and, and this type of language. And, and it's meant to change us. It's meant to be uncomfortable. It's meant to mold us and shape us to be more and more like him. God's goal with us is so much more than eternity in heaven. And again, it's making us the visible image of an invisible God to be Christ-like. I've said this before, but, but I want to live my life. And I, want, I think God wants me to live my life in such a way that people that don't know God want to know God because of how I talk, because of how I love, because of how I forgive, for how I stand for truth, how I'm bold for him, how I operate in mercy and courage and humility, that I want to live my life in a way that I represent him well. Paul said this in, in Corinthians as well, that, that we, we should be living epistles. That's, that's a, a living letter that, that when people read our lives, our choices, our actions, that, that they, they learn more about God. And so tonight, I, I want you to do this. Right where you're at, I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. And, and I want you to ask yourself this. One, have you bought into the true gospel, the, the true message of Jesus? Have you accepted it for all that it is? And number two, is there a place in your life where you've refused to surrender, that you've refused to allow him to touch and to change? Father, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for the gospel, for the truth, the, for the good news. Father, not the good news that I'm fine just the way that I am, but the good news that, that you are willing to place yourself 
in a human, vulnerable body so that you can encounter me in the middle of my mess, in the middle of my sin. The good news that no matter how broken I was, no matter how broken I am, no matter how far away from you I drift, that you love me and that you seek to change me to be more like you. And I pray, Lord, that every person in this room would be awakened to the truth of this message, that, that you don't change, that you haven't changed, but that we should. That we shouldn't submit just the things that, that we feel are large to you, but God, that you want to, to impact and minister to and, and to touch every area of our lives. And Lord, as they, as they encounter this truth, Lord, I pray that you would continue and complete this work in each of us. And we thank you, Father, for loving us, for saving us, redeeming us and making us right. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Our action steps tonight, number one, evaluate your life and ask yourself if there are any areas where you've turned away from truth. We all do it. Self-checks are so important. I can't answer the question for you, but begin to look. Is this of God or is this from me? Number two, begin to move those areas into submission to God's will. It's uncomfortable. It's hard, but it's necessary. And number three, allow yourself to be transformed and molded by the good news. Every day, every day, wake up and remind yourself, God came because I'm lost in my sin and because I couldn't save myself. My only hope is Jesus and he seeks to do a good work in me. So everything we talked about tonight, if you haven't, got the big picture. It centers on Jesus. I, we can't do life. We can't do recovery. We can't do any of it without submitting to him and making him Lord of everything. And so tonight, that's where I encourage you to start. If you're in here and you've never made that decision, if you've never accepted him as Lord of your life, not just recognized him as God, but accepted him as Lord, authority over everything. I want to encourage you to do that tonight. In just a moment, we're going to have some people down here at the front. And I know it's scary. I know it can be embarrassing, right, to get up in front of people. I understand. But I encourage you tonight to make the greatest decision you will ever make. And that's to step out in faith and come down here and pray for somebody to receive Jesus for the very first time. And if you're in here and and you've done that before, but you've messed up, gotten off track, drifted far away. I want to remind you, man, he's a God of second chances, third chances, whatever you need. And so if you're in here tonight, you need to resubmit. Same offer. Here in just a moment, step out of your seat, act in faith, and come down here and pray for somebody to recommit tonight. And then if you're in here and there's that area, that why, right? Maybe you've justified sex outside of marriage. Maybe you've justified all the drinking, getting high, whatever it is, and you've said, it's okay. 
God's okay with this. Maybe that's you. And you're, you're ready to, to set it down, to let go of whatever it is. If that's you, I want to encourage you to come pick up one of these white chips tonight. There's nothing special about this, but there's something significant about when we act out in our faith and say, God, I know that you've got this. And we come down here and we grab one of those knowing that he's going to move. So if that's you, I want to encourage you to pick up one of these white chips. And then lastly, if you just need prayer, I want to encourage you to come down and let us pray for you. So for any of those things, to give your life to Jesus for the first time, to recommit, to pick up a white chip, or just to receive prayer, I want to encourage you to step out of your seats and come down front. And if everybody would, if you'd stand to your feet as we close in worship.